Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influence their careers. My guest today is Kevin Mayer. He's a partner at Norton Rose Fulbright. He's been practicing for over 25 years and is a specialist in toxic tort litigation. Uh, In today's episode, Kevin shares a story of the case that started it all for him and put him on the path to becoming the specialist that he is. When I was a baby lawyer, I was doing principally construction litigations. And about a year and a half into my practice, the chairman of our firm at the time came to me and said, you know, we're bringing over a lateral partner from another firm and he has this toxic tort practice and he needs a bright young associate to work with him. Would you be interested? And of course, I knew nothing about this practice area whatsoever, but I said I'd be more than happy to meet him. And we hit it off immediately. And uh, that was really the beginning of my career as a toxic tort litigator and trial attorney. As I say, I knew nothing about this area whatsoever. I had avoided the the hard sciences when I was in college. And so the the joke that I tell today is I'm not a doctor, but I play one in the courtroom. And that's really true. So it's really quite remarkable that over the years, I've had the privilege of working with some of the top scientists and physicians in the world. Uh, really in, in the various areas in which we work as we are defending our clients' interests. And so I've come to acquire enough knowledge to be dangerous, uh, but, but certainly enough to know uh, the right people that I need to get to work with in these sorts of cases. Um, and was there, was there a specific case that, that sort of uh, solidified that? Yeah, the, the very first case that I was involved in uh, working with my then partner at the Bronson firm was a case involving claims that metalworking fluids that a woman had worked with in as a grinder in the metal industry had caused her to develop lung cancer which ultimately unfortunately had taken her life and we of course were defending the case based on the fact that she not only had been a smoker but also had taken certain types of pharmaceuticals that had the uh, the ability of enhancing the, the risk of developing lung cancer. What was interesting about that case is we were trying it in front of a judge in San Francisco who was on his way to leaving the bench, although we didn't know it at the time, because he was going to become the head of JAMS, which is our private judging organization, which is now a huge international entity. And at this time in 1989, we had no idea what was going on other than he would disappear from the bench for extended periods of time and it turned out he was on the telephone taking phone calls to negotiate his deal with jams uh, unfortunately the jury ended up finding against our client on medical causation and then that case in a series of case right after it settled but it was our first foray into the world of toxic tort trial law and it really grabbed me it, it was uh, inspiring it was interesting it was challenging it was fun and so this is where I started focusing my attention as an attorney, and, and that became the, the basis for uh, a good portion of my career as a trial lawyer ever since that time. Uh, this was a new area of intellectual challenge, and I found it interesting, as I say, because I was working with some truly extraordinary experts in really every scientific and medical discipline that you can imagine. So we would be dealing with things like toxicology, epidemiology, industrial hygiene, internal medicine, respiratory medicine, uh, physicians who specialize in literally the performance and function of all of the systems of the body, and those scientists which study the incidence of disease and the causation of disease, 
in human populations. And I, I simply found this quite fascinating, particularly when you would be dealing with the competing theories that the plaintiffs would advance versus those theories that we on the defense side would advance as to what caused a particular person to get a disease or an injury from the exposures that they were claiming. You have to appreciate that when you are defending a corporation whose products are accused of causing injury to others, you may have the best science and the best medicine in the world on your side, but you also have to have a story, a narrative, and a theme that you can communicate persuasively to those 12 jurors that are sitting in the box and sitting in judgment on the case. And you have to recognize, and you don't say these things to be pejorative, but it's true, you really have to keep it simple. If you get into such a high level of explanation and technical detail, while it may be right, while it may be accurate, it's not necessarily going to be persuasive, particularly when the plaintiffs come in with a very simple story and focus on certain pieces of evidence over and over and over again that will maximize the narrative that they're trying to communicate. On the defense side, we have to learn to do that as well. We have to have the ability to persuade in a simple and concise way so that the jury understands and is willing to accept our theory of the case. That's super interesting. I love that. And I, I, to any young lawyers listening, I think it's really interesting this this journey that, that all lawyers go on to sort of def- define their career path and their, and their kind of area of their expertise and focus for, for the, you know, the large portion of their career. Is there anything you would say to a young lawyer that's that's trying to figure this out? Which which area to, to focus on? Is there anything that you could, any lessons that you've drawn from your own career that would be helpful? Sure. I think any young attorney has to start out with some idea of what they want to do with their career. Now, it's really fascinating how sometimes your career will find you instead of you finding the career. That was certainly true in my case. As I say, I started off doing construction defect litigation, and then I graduated into toxic tort, and then ultimately pharmaceutical and medical device work. And then on top of that, some OSHA work. And sometimes you're simply presented with opportunities because of the people that you work with. It could be because of the practice area that happens to be hot at the time. It could be because of the law firm that you're with and what they're emphasizing. But ultimately, you have to find something that excites you, something that you're personally interested in, something that motivates you to want to get up in the morning. Because this is a hard job. This, this is a job that demands a commitment of time and a commitment of intellectual rigor and a commitment of discipline in order to work oftentimes with very difficult circumstances, very difficult facts, difficult clients, difficult opponents and just difficult cases. And so if you're not really inspired and motivated to want to do this on a day-to-day basis, you're going to be somewhat lost and and quite frankly, very frustrated with the profession because this is a demanding profession. And so what I would say to young lawyers is find something that really turns you on, something that you really want to be involved in, and then you will find it's not so much work as it is a profession. Yeah. What is it for you that makes a, a persuasive um, storyteller, I guess? You know, it's a, it's a fascinating issue because when you study the great trial lawyers, everybody has a style unto themselves, whether you're talking about Melvin Belli, Jerry Spence, uh, Tom Girardi, 
a David Boys or a Kevin Mayer. And what you come to realize is that we are all different. We all have our own sets of skills. We can't be someone other than who we are. And so one thing I learned, and I, and I learned this over the course of many trials, is number one, you have to be yourself. You have to be credible. You have to be completely honest in the eyes of the jury. If at any time the jury or the judge believes that somehow you are being less than credible, that you are trying to hide something, that you're trying to pull the wool over their eyes, then you're shot. Because all we have as attorneys, in addition obviously to our ability to present evidence, is our credibility. The jury has to be able to believe in what you're saying to them and be willing to accept that. And probably the greatest honor that I ever had as a trial attorney was after a case that we tried back in 2008, where I actually had to step into the middle of a trial for one of my partners who became ill. And I had to take it from the middle of the plaintiff's case in chief all the way through the rest of their case into the defense case and ultimately to verdict. And we won the case. And I learned after that verdict when we were interviewing the jurors that they were calling me Simon Says in the jury room because whatever I would say, whatever I would ask of the court, whatever objections I would make to my opponent's questions, the court would sustain that. And once that became sort of the atmospheric of the trial, the jury began to believe that I indeed knew what I was doing and they could trust what I was telling. And with such an extensive and successful career, it's clear that Kevin has taken his own advice and is indeed doing what he loves. My thanks to Kevin for sharing his story today. If you want to find out more about Kevin and Norton Rose Fulbright's work, you can find their links in the show notes at thatonecase.com. If you enjoyed the show, please do share it with someone that you think would also find it interesting. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. All the details on how to subscribe can be found at thatonecase.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next time as Lisa Zeidemann of Miller Zeidemann LLP shares the story of that one case. Yeah.